the most important question that we can ask ourselves is, what's actually in my control? Rather than feeling like we can control everything, we need to get really clear about what are the aspects of my life that just have to do with circumstances and what has to do with how I'm reacting to those circumstances. Welcome to A Congruent Life, where we share inspirational stories of authenticity and happiness. A Congruent Life is an interview project sharing the stories of ordinary people doing extraordinary things, discovering their passions, and living authentic, amazing lives. Here's your host, Andy Gray. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of A Congruent Life. I'm Andy Gray, and today is episode 48. Thanks so much for sharing in these stories with us today. One of the best parts of doing this show is having the opportunity to connect with some pretty amazing people, and it's quite an honor to help share their stories with all of you. Today, I'm glad to introduce you to Danea Horn. Danea has a pretty remarkable story. She's had some significant health challenges since birth, and over the course of her life, has let illness become her teacher in some profound ways. She wrote a book called Chronic Resilience to support others in coping with the stress of illnesses and ultimately becoming more self-compassionate. In a stunning act of love, she recently received a kidney transplant from her husband on their 11th wedding anniversary. Here's Danea. I'm talking today to Danea Horn, who is the author of a new book called Chronic Resilience. Danea, welcome to A Concurrent Life. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm glad that we were able to connect in this way and need to thank our friend Catherine, who uh, is a listener of the show and suggested that we connect. I'm glad that she made the connection for us. Yeah, that's great. So, Danae, can you just start maybe with a quick introduction about you, who you are, and then we can get in a little bit to your story. Sure. Uh, so, I, my story starts way back when I was born with something called bacterial association. It's a birth disorder that impacts six systems in the body and causes closures at both ends of the digestive tract. I had more than 10 surgeries before I was two years old, and so my life sort of started on this journey that began with physical challenges, and then I think you're always prompted to go, okay, well, you know, why am I facing these challenges, and what can I get out of this? And from that sort of spurred a lifelong interest in personal development and how we can use our minds and our bodies to create a really genuine, authentic life. And so I've always sort of been interested in concepts of personal development. And it was about, gosh, five years ago now that I started my website, Creative Affirmations, and really sort of dived into the ideas about the ways that our minds and bodies are connected and how we can live into our full potential. So can you tell us a little bit about your childhood? What was it like being chronically ill as a, as a child and the journey that you were on in your early years of coping with life in a way that other kids didn't? Uh, you know, I was very fortunate. I think when you're born into something like that, it can go one of two ways. And your parents are pivotal in making the decisions about the ways that those go. And so my parents really chose to see my health struggles as a spiritual journey. And they saw that there was some sort of purpose and potential behind them. And so they never made me feel 
guilty or wrong or um, that, that we were cursed or burdened. They really embraced and accepted what we were facing and tried to create the best life for me possible. So out of that, I grew up always feeling like there was purpose. And rather than feeling um, different or ashamed of my body and the struggles, I sort of felt uh, that they made me unique and that I was proud that I was strong enough to go through what I was able to go through. I think I say in my book, Chronic Resilience, that, you know, I'd, I'd cry when things hurt and I was in pain and I would jump on trampolines when I felt well. And I was, you know, like any child, you're sort of living in the moment and taking things in stride. So I never really felt different than my peers. Um, and I know that that started with my parents. That was a lesson that they instilled in me. And it was definitely one that I had to relearn um, as I got older. And my health struggles, you know, I, I had a lot of things done when I was very young. And then we sort of went through a quiet period where, um, you know, things seemed to uh, kind of stabilize and maybe we thought we were out of the woods a bit. And then when I was 16, I started getting chronic kidney infections. In uh, my, I was born with just one kidney, which was part of this bacterial association that had some anatomical defects that made me more susceptible to kidney infections. And so when I was in high school, I started getting them chronically. And I think that was the first time that we kind of said, oh, okay, we're not out of the woods. We are going to have some health things to deal with. And by the time I was in high school, you know, you, I did feel healthy and normal and I wanted to be just like any other kid. And I did the thing that probably made my parents not real proud, but I, a lot of times I'd hide how sick I was and go to school anyways, feeling nauseous and with a fever and really with a kidney infection and not understanding the kind of damage that I was doing to my body. And so uh, I struggled with those for a few years until we finally got them under control. I had surgery to correct the defects in my kidney um, and we halted the kidney infections, but the damage had sort of been done. And so from about 16 on, I've managed chronic kidney disease. How amazing that your parents were able to portray that for you, you know, to grow up in an environment where it was a journey that you didn't feel different or a burden, you know, that you were able to see that as unique. It's so hard for kids to be excluded for things. That period of life is so challenging where you feel like, oh, I don't belong because of, of something. And so how amazing that you could embrace that as a positive at that stage of your life. Yeah, I felt very blessed by that. Very fortunate. So as you became a young adult, how did this journey affect what you decided to do with your life? So I always felt, because I felt there was some purpose, you know, if you if, if you face a challenge, you kind of want to make something out of it so that at least it has a presence in your life and a reason for being. And so for me, I felt like, okay, I wanted to use that idea of, you know, whether it be positive thinking or um, finding your sort of inner resilience and offering that to other people through what I had been through. I always said that I I wanted to use bacterial in my life for some sort of bigger purpose. And I didn't quite know what it was at the time. So when I was in college, you know, I got a little sidetracked and went with a stable career and majored in math and economics and worked in corporate finance for a while. Um, but I always kind of had this nagging to figure out what was deeper and what could be offered from what I had gone through. Um, and so it was when I started creative affirmations and really looking into okay, how is it that I, I dealt with these things? And what is my mindset? And why don't I see my health as a burden? Why, why can I make something, um, you know, out of that? 
not to say that it was always easy because it certainly wasn't. You know, when I, right after I got married, uh, a few months later, we found out that my kidneys, we weren't trying to have a child or anything, but the doctors said, you're young and married and, you know, you should know the risks if you were to get pregnant. And we found out that I couldn't carry a pregnancy. Um, and, you know, so there were certain things that happened along the way that um, when you're older and you start to look around and say, oh, I'm not going to be able to have what my friends are going to be able to have. Um, you know, I certainly went through times where I had to grieve the loss of experiences that I felt entitled to and that I had expected to have. Um, and even out of that, I felt like, okay, if I can grieve this and get through these challenges, then even on the other side, there, there's going to be something to offer out of this. There's going to be something that I'm going to learn. Yeah, that's beautiful. There's so many opportunities to grieve and we often don't, don't take them. I think oftentimes it's, it's easy to not have the wherewithal to, to grieve the loss of those experiences, to, to grieve the perspective of my life is going to be different. And again, similar to the childhood piece of, of seeing that as a unique blessing rather than a loss. Yeah, I think, you know, people throw around the word, well, just let go, you know, just, just let it go. <laughs> Whatever it is that you're holding on to or attachment that you have that's keeping you in, in a mindset or in a life circumstance. And I think people don't understand what let go means. Let go means grief. And nobody wants to grieve because it's painful. <laughs> you know, it, it, for me, it involved four months of tears and allowing myself to have all of those feelings come up that I, that are hard. Um, but if you can get through that, if you allow yourself, if you allow those feelings a voice, you really can come to the other side of it where you can let go of those situations. Um, and so I think that let go is a fairly overused, misunderstood term. That's really important, but it, it's a, a term that really needs grief. So as you were going through that period of your life, how did you deal with the stress and the grief? How, how did you deal with being in that place? I mean, it seems like it would take a lot of both courage and self-awareness. So do you have a perspective maybe on where that courage came from, Priya? It wasn't a conscious choice. When we found out that I couldn't carry a child, you know, my husband was awesome and he just said, okay, you know, we do, we do a lot of things in unique ways. We'll just do this in a unique way. You know, we'll, we'll figure out some other way to build our family when we're ready for that. And it was harder for me. I had a friend at the time that was seven months pregnant with her first child and unknowingly, but thankfully I, I didn't tell her what was going on with me, but I used my conversations with her to grieve my own loss. So we would talk on the phone about the, how she was decorating the nursery and names and how exciting it all was. And then I would hang up the phone and cry for, you know, however long letting go of all of those images that I had in my head of what that was going to be like for me in my life. And, um, and I remember I, I had the pleasure of being at the hospital when she gave birth and sharing in that experience and then driving away from the hospital and that was kind of the last um, releasing of my images and my experience. And so in a way, I was very blessed to have somebody kind of walk me through what that would have been like so that I could allow the emotions and the image that I had painted in my head of what it's like to build a family go. Um, 
you know, it certainly wasn't a conscious thing, but it was, um, it was something that I think uh, I, I just allowed. I didn't, I didn't have the thoughts in my head of you shouldn't be sad about this. You'll just do it a different way. You'll move on. I kind of gave into what that experience was. And when all of those emotions were heard and had a voice, then they subsided and a new reality could be born. Um, you know, after about four months of going through that tough period, my husband and I were watching a program on adoption and we started talking about, well, what does it mean to have a child for us? You know, you, you talk about these kind of normal life experiences that everybody has without thinking about, well, why are we having this and what does it really mean? And so we started talking about, well, for us, is it about DNA or is it about love and connection and experience of something greater than ourselves? And we realized that we were really passionate about adoption. And of course, perspective is everything. We wouldn't have come to that decision had we not um, been edged in that way by life. Uh, but we feel very fortunate that we were presented with something that really resonated with us. Um, we haven't adopted yet because we were kind of getting through my most recent health things, but uh, we're really excited to do that in the next couple of years. That's great. Thanks for those reflections. That's, that's beautiful. Um, you, you talked a bit, uh, mentioned a moment ago about creating this website for affirmations. You have some great writings on your on your blog about the power of positive thinking and affirmation. Could you talk a little bit about the role that you think that affirmation played and perhaps didn't play in that portion of your life? Uh, yes, this is a very interesting topic. <laughs> so I, you know, it sort of started when I heard the doctor say that my um, diagnosis of chronic kidney disease was eventually going to be kidney failure and that I would need transplant. And even though I knew I had impaired kidney function, I hadn't realized that it was really headed in that direction. And I, I thought at the time that you could live the rest of your life with reduced kidney function and that I, I would be fine. Um, and so this was, it was a shock to me. I, um, you know, another kind of grieving process of, okay, the future is going to look different again. And I got really into affirmations and positive thinking and trying to bring myself back to the present moment um, and what I was feeling rather than letting my mind kind of run wild. And that was very helpful for me. I, I have to say that it really helped reduce my stress. It really helped me say, um, you know, transplant is one possibility for my future. It doesn't mean that it's tomorrow. Um, and so I was spent a lot of time really working on my thoughts to not let them completely run wild. Um, and so it was very helpful on that sense. But then I took it one step further, and I started reading a lot of books that were telling me that if I could think positive all the time, if I could only put out positive emotions, if I could heal past traumas and sort of have this pristine inter-emotional life, then my body would have the space to heal itself. And I really bought into that idea that, that my, the damaged nephrons in my kidney could heal. And I read books after books about the mind-body connection. And I tried everything that you can imagine under the sun. Vision boards, visualization, you know, 10 different kinds of meditation. I uh, saw healers and hypnotherapists and uh, psychics really thinking that there was something wrong with me. 
that there was something wrong with my emotional life or with the core of who I was that was causing this physical manifestation of disease. And I went on this multi-year hunt for what that could be. So while I think that positive thinking is a really important tool to help us cope with the challenges that we're facing in our life, I um, had the misfortune or the um, misunderstanding to try to control every aspect of my life by trying to fix who I was. Um, and I remember so clearly, I write about this in the book, there was a day that I was driving uh, toward the Sierra Mountains. I live in um, Northern California. And just as I left the city with all of its cement and sort of crowded billboards, and I, you kind of enter this space where the, the land opens up and the trees start getting taller. And I started thinking about this journey that I was on and what it meant and all the books that lined my bookshelves of these gurus and great spiritual teachers that that I had been reading were telling me that I could have this sort of amazing life if I could come into an alignment with my best spiritual self. And I was kind of saying, why, why am I not there yet? You know, why has it been years and years of trying to get there and I'm still struggling with the things I was struggling with years ago? And I had this flash of insight. This thought just came up that I'm human. And I'm not supposed to be perfect. I'm not supposed to have, you know, positive emotions all the time. I'm supposed to have challenges and ups and downs. And it doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with me because of that. Um, and that was sort of the beginning of the journey that led toward the book. That's fantastic. We could give ourselves such a break by being more compassionate toward ourselves and recognizing this human journey that we're on. Absolutely. I, I needed to recognize that there was part of being human that I couldn't control. Mm -hmm. I was trying so hard to get out of being human rather than giving myself the leeway and compassion to allow the experiences that I was having to be and to know that I was going to have the resilience to get through them. Um, but not necessarily that I could get out of them. Right. And that's probably something that you needed to discover for yourself. You know, yes. I'm sure that people told you that, you know, but somehow we need to, to get to a place of, of experiencing that in a, in a direct way to be able to internalize that lesson. Absolutely. I had so many people say, you're so hard on yourself. And I just kept thinking, yes, but I, I'm reading that you can have, you know, I'm reading Eat, Pray, Love, that if I could travel to India and meditate perfectly, I could create this sort of amazing life. And I'm reading uh, Deepak Chopra and all of these people. And I, I believe that there's some truth there, but I believe that we also really want control in our lives. And so we, we take that mind-body connection to a place that it was never necessarily intended to go. Um, we take it to a place of control instead of to a place of release. And of love, um, and I was really trying to control everything. So you're going down this journey and having these new insights about yourself, and then at some point you decided to write a book. Can you tell us a bit about your vision for the book and how that came to be? Sure. Uh, the vision changed. So initially, because I had my website, Creative Affirmations, and this was the time that I was really um, into all of those ideas. And so the book was going to basically be about how to use positive thinking to 
cope with an illness. And, um, and then I asked the question after I had that insight about maybe I needed to allow some space for myself to be human. And so I said, well, is this true? You know, I, I had never asked the question, is everything that I'm reading true? Is, are these, is this positive thinking, is this the tool that's really helping me? And so then I started researching sort of the other side of it. You know, what are the things that have been working in the research lab? And what are psychologists see as the important pieces of it? And, you know, I took my life coach training and kind of sat down with a more less desperate, certainly, a more critical eye to say, what are the things that are concrete that somebody that's coping with illness, that they can allow space for themselves to be human and to allow some acceptance of what they can't control. But what are the tools that are going to help them get through the long haul? Because at that time, I had finally come to accept that my illness was going to be chronic, that it was going to be something that I was going to deal with for the rest of my life. And that I was going to need a toolkit so that I could get through those things. So for about a year, I read and read and read and um, and really changed the way that I saw being human and being in the world. And what came out of that was, you know, the one thing that that I think is the most important question that we can ask ourselves is, what's actually in my control? Rather than feeling like we can control everything. We need to get really clear about what are the aspects of my life that just have to do with circumstances and what has to do with how I'm reacting to those circumstances. And um, and so the book really became toolkit for anybody coping with illness to know those things that they can control. And I do talk about positive thinking in the book, but rather than forcing ourselves to believe positive thoughts that don't necessarily resonate or um, create positive feelings, I call it honest thinking instead of positive thinking. Um, you know, it's not negative, so you're not uh, sort of buying into worry and worst case scenario, but it's not positive where you're painting things to be rosier and trying to convince yourself of a reality that isn't really true. It's honest thinking, so you're looking objectively at your circumstances and reminding yourself of the resilience and the courage and the strength that you have to that's a really helpful reframing of um, honest thinking. And in particular, asking that question, what actually is in my control? What what can I control and what can I not? Yeah, I any people I talk to, I always say, take a piece of paper and a pen and actually sit down and write it out. And that was something I kind of did when I realized I was human was, okay, I need to I need a list of what I can control. Okay, I can control my diet. I can control finding the right medical team. I can control... Uh, the support that I have around me. I can control taking my medications on time and all of these other things. And once I focused on those things that actually impacted my health and helped me create the best case scenario, then it was much easier to let go of the things that I couldn't. As part of writing the book, you connected with a bunch of other women who were dealing with different kinds of health issues as well. Can you talk a little bit about that process of connecting with other people to both offer support and wisdom and some of what you learned from those interviews? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I knew that I didn't just want it to be my voice and I knew that I didn't want it to just be my experience. I wanted to have a broader range of experiences and insights because 
just like you, I love stories. And I think that we learn so much from hearing other people's stories. So I went out in search of other women that were sharing their stories with people and got connected with nine women that have a variety of illnesses from double lung transplant to diabetes to cancer, MS, rheumatoid arthritis, um, all, you know, in the prime of life, have families, have children, um, have careers, are out in the world trying to um, help other people through their own experiences. And so I sat down with each of them and we talked about what's in their control. Uh, each woman's story sort of resonates with a chapter in the book. So it's something that she's doing in her life. Um, you know, for instance, I talked to Kelly Young, who has rheumatoid arthritis, and our interview um, focused a lot on the way that she sets up her space in her home. Um, because with rheumatoid arthritis, she has trouble uh, lifting things of a certain weight. Uh, she wants to make sure that she has comfortable places to sit, um, all of that. So we talked a little bit more about, you know, how you can create a space around you that really supports your health and your healing. Um, so each chapter is sort of like that. Uh, one of the most astounding stories to me was um, Charity Tillman Dick. I found her. She gave this she gives this amazing TED Talk. Anybody should go watch her speak um, at TED.com. But she was an, a world-renowned opera singer, sang all over uh, in Prague and um, you know, just these amazing, the Lincoln Center in New York, amazing opera houses. Uh, she also had needed a double lung transplant. And she um, was so committed and passionate about her goal and about singing that she sought out a medical team that would support her in that and allow her to keep singing um, while her, she had um, idiopathic pulmonary hypertension, which they were managing with medications for a while until she had some life stress that um, put her into heart failure and she needed the, the lung transplant. But she came back to sing again. And um, just her story of how even when we're coping with an illness, that it's also really important to have a goal and something that we're passionate outside, uh, passionate about outside of our health. And so from charity, I, I learned that we are so much stronger than we know. <laughs> I mean, we can do amazing things. She tells this incredible story about being wheeled, basically wheeled onto stage and getting up and singing an amazing aria where at the same time that she can barely take three steps without needing oxygen. I mean, just incredible stories about the human spirit and when we have a purpose outside of ourselves, the um, the greatness that we can achieve. And that, that that's all already built into us, that everybody already has that inside of us. Um, some of the other things I learned from the women are that we really are responsible for our health, that we're part of our healthcare team, that we need to find doctors that will partner with us. And um, out of that, I became much more empowered in my own health care to really uh, talk with my team about what I was willing to do and what I wasn't willing to do. And um, and they really showed me what a difference it can make to take responsibility for your health and to take ownership of your health. Um, because all of these women are really transformed their lives to support their health in a way that would also allow them to do other things, to contribute, to have families, and um, to have these really rich and fulfilling lives. 
even though they also have a pumpkin. So you had a pretty eventful fall last year. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. What were you up to last fall? So the day my book came out, my book came out August 1st, that evening my uh, nephrologist, that's the kidney specialist, called and said that I was officially in kidney failure. So I, I, by that time, I just had to laugh at the irony. I had done all the grieving about knowing that I was going to need a transplant and becoming comfortable with that. Um, so, of course, you know, I write this book about coping with your health. And on the day it comes out, I, I continue the next phase sort of of my journey. So isn't that beautiful? Yes, it's just wonderful. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was it was life at its best, you know, life at its most most human, most wonderfully human. Um, so I was going on a book tour um, across the West Coast and and also at the same time starting to get more tired and um, fluids were starting to build up in my legs and I was bruising really easily. Um, but I was also out talking to people about chronic resilience and really living chronic resilience. I, I would come home from a stop on the book tour and go and hear that my kidney function had gone down even more and then I would come home and we'd talk with the transplant team about when we need to schedule the surgery. Um, so we, we found out that I was in kidney failure. Uh, we also um, were in the process of getting my husband tested to see if he was a match for me. Um, we knew that we had the same blood type, so we knew that there was the possibility that he could be a match. Um, and given that he and I are, are the same age, he was going to be the best opportunity for me to get the longest life out of a kidney. Um, you know, we tested my parents, but they're a little bit older, and so um, I would have gotten a longer life out of the younger kidney. And so about a week after we found out that I was in kidney failure, we also found out that my husband was fully cleared to donate. Um, and that was a really special moment when he told me that he had gotten the call. Um, because you never want somebody you love to have to go through a surgery like that. And it was certainly a lesson for me to allow myself to be loved in that way. You know, it's such a unique experience to share something like that with somebody. And, um, and it was really surprising to me how I needed to allow that in my life, to allow that amount of love and generosity um, and we both kind of said that, you know, it's such a unique experience that not everybody gets to have that we sort of went into it with this kind of curiosity and openness and willingness to see the miracle that it was instead of um, going into it with fear or trepidation. You know, of course, those emotions are also there, but um, we really sort of went into it just being open to allowing it to have a transformative effect on our lives and on our relationship. Um, so we scheduled the operation for October 1st. Uh, it was sooner than I had wanted, but the, my uh, healthcare team kind of said, please don't wait. We don't want you to end up in the ER on dialysis. So, uh, and that was something that we were also very fortunate about that my disease progressed slowly enough that we were able to plan for this ending in the transplant in advance so that I didn't have to go on to dialysis. Um, so we, the the day before the surgery, our moms were planning to move in with us. They were going to stay for a month to help both of us heal because we were both having major surgery. 
And of course, the day that we were supposed to have the surgery, my husband came down with stomach bugs. And so uh, we had to postpone it. Um, and so everybody worked really hard that week to keep us separate so that I could stay healthy. Um, and that was a tough, that was a tough week. I, um, kidney disease is funny because you don't get really dramatic symptoms. At least I didn't until the very end. And um, so it was kind of that last week that I really started feeling not well. And fortunately, the transplant center just happened to have an opening the next week. So rather than have to wait a few months and potentially go on dialysis, we were able to just postpone it a week. Um, and so then we went into surgery on October 7th. Um, I went into the operating room with less than 5% kidney function. I was probably a week away from needing to be on dialysis. Um, and it was just absolutely miraculous. I came out of surgery with already increased kidney function. You know, it's amazing that once they hook the kidney up, it already starts producing urine. It, it knows what its job is, and it, it takes to its new home um, very quickly. And by 24 hours after surgery, my kidney function was completely back to normal. Mm. And, um, and we were just very blessed to not have any complications. Everything went fairly smooth. Um, you know, you do have to take especially for the first few months, a pretty heavy dose of immunosuppressant drugs. And, um, you know, I credit the work that I had done with the things that are in my control with my diet, with being in shape, um, all of those things. So I've been actually handling the drugs fairly well. We haven't had too many side effects, which has been great. Um, and my energy has continued to come back. And, you know, my husband really gave me a, a workhorse of a kidney. And we both healed well from the surgery and uh, it's it's a really interesting connection to have, especially because they place the kidney in your lower abdomen. They don't put it where your native kidneys are. They place it in the lower abdomen, kind of in the front side. It makes it easier to get to if they need to do a biopsy. And it's certainly easier to hook up um, to the bladder, the veins, and the arteries in surgery. And so what that means is that I can feel the kidney <laughs> from the surface of my skin. And so it's really interesting to feel my husband's organ in there working so hard for me and it's sort of hard to tell if it's his or if it's mine or if it's some combination of the two of us um you know creating this life together and so we feel very fortunate that we that we got to experience this miracle together it's amazing what science can do um and you know i used to think when i was reading all those books about miraculous healing and spontaneous remission i used to think that the miracle was that you would go to sleep ill and wake up healed, that you would somehow have some spontaneous healing. And now I realize that that kind of healing can look like surgery, can look like doctors and, and drugs, you know, that the miracle is that surgeons have figured out how to do this and that biologists have figured out how to create drugs that will allow my body to accept this organ. Um, and, and I can really see the miracle in that means. What a beautiful story. Thanks so much for sharing that. That's uh, inspiring and beautiful. So the purpose of this show, um, I Can Grow at Life, is really about authenticity. That's kind of the big theme that we uh, we like to explore and, and sort of wrestle with here. So given this amazing journey that you've been on through your life, what would you say that living authentically or congruently means to you? So living authentically to me is allowing my humanity to be my humanity not forcing myself to be something 
um, that I'm not, to allow some leeway for the times that, um, you know, that I miss a workout or um, feel sad or, um, you know, have the human parts of myself kind of come up rather than try to push those down. Now I allow myself the compassion to let them be there, to still strive to be, you know, my full potential and, you know, to work to control the things that I can to contribute to my health and my life um, in ways that I'm able to, but also to allow space for my humanity to be there, for for life to throw challenges my way and to continue to believe that I have the resilience and the strength to get through them. And what do you want your legacy to be, Dana? As you're doing this work and writing this book and sharing your story with the world, what sort of footprint do you want to have on the world? I think I want to tell people that they're okay, just exactly as they are. Um, that, you know, whatever is right now is is supposed to be, that there's nothing wrong with being human, with being here on Earth, that, um, you know, part of being on this kind of spinning planet out in the middle of nowhere is having this twisting, winding journey, um, and that there's nothing wrong with us, that we have to deal with that. And to, to let people know that they have the resilience to get through it. You know, as, as much as we want to get sometimes get rid of this human experience, you know, and kind of create this sort of perfect, happy ending kind of a life. Um, it's that very humanity that gives us our resilience, that gives us our ability to um, to get through the rough stuff and to see the beautiful stuff that comes from it also. How can our listeners engage with you, Danae? Uh, so they can visit me at chronicresilience.com. I keep my blog there. Um, and then they can also get the book, Chronic Resilience, 10 Sanity Saving Strategies for Women Coping with the Stress of Illness. It's available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and at their favorite book retail. We'll be sure to link to those in the show notes. Is there a final thought that you'd like to leave our listeners with about authenticity? That it's okay to be human. I think that's my final thought. It's okay to be human. Well, Tania, thanks so much for sharing this. That's an amazing story of strength and awareness and courage. And I really appreciate you sharing it with us and taking the time to talk with us today on A Congruent Life. Oh, thanks for having me. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation with Danae Horn. The show notes for this episode are at acongruentlife.net slash 48 or acongruentlife.net slash horn, which is H-O-R-N. Find out more about Denea and check out her book and other work there on that page. Thanks to those who have been leaving reviews for the show. And this week's special thanks to James Reynolds, who left a five-star review and says that this show is helping bring balance to his life. Reviews are a really helpful way to support the show and help others discover it. If you would, please take a quick moment to leave a review for the show at acongruentlife.net slash iTunes or acongruentlife.net slash Stitcher. Thanks so much. I appreciate all of you so much. Thanks for listening to and supporting A Congruent Life. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week to meet some more inspiring people. Thanks for listening to A Congruent Life. For more, please visit us on the web at acongruentlife.net. Do you have feedback about the show or suggestions for future guests? Please contact us through the website or send an email to feedback at acongruentlife.net. 
See you next time.